Ecclesiastes chapter 10. I, I'm pumped to preach tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter number 10. And uh, this is uh, message number 14. And le- next week is it. We're done. Next week is the last. And no cheering, okay? So that's good. Uh, no one cheered. But next week, I heard a woo. Who was that? Next week is the last message, and, and we've got, uh, if you're, if you're you know, counting, you've got, uh, we've got uh, chapter 10 tonight, and then 11 and 12. So that means that all of chapter 10 must be covered tonight, and next week we're going to go two chapters into one message. That doesn't mean a long message, but we've, I believe that they're very cohesive with one another, and uh, uh, they're connected with one another, and so next week we're going to cover chapter 11 and chapter 12. Don't read ahead, don't cheat. I'm excited because we're going to get to a point, uh, you Bible scholars who understand where we're going, it's an exciting point to reach. Can I just share it with you real quick? Fear God, keep his commandments. That's what we're going to get at. But, uh, okay, put that away, put that in your back pocket and act surprised next week whenever I reveal the title and we start talking about the topic. But I am excited about tonight's message in Ecclesiastes chapter number 10. And uh, we haven't done this in a while. We've really uh, kind of just maybe used a couple of verses as we started. Uh, We've read just two or three verses and then we've gone over each verse as we've expounded upon the word of God over the past couple of weeks. But tonight I'd like to read all of chapter 10 together tonight and then we'll get into the message because there's a lot of good richness and I could honestly read it and we could go home. Now you're not gonna be so lucky. We're gonna read it and we're gonna stay for a little while, but I just wanna read it because I want you to get the idea behind uh, what Solomon is trying to say and I'm just gonna leave him to say what he says. So look at verse number one, let's read it together. It says, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to come, or excuse me, to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart it has, is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Yea, also, when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to every one that he is a fool. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses." There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, and the rich sit in low place. I have seen servant upon horses, and princes walking as servants upon the earth. He that diggeth a pit, fall therein. How many of you have read that verse before? He that diggeth a pit, fall therein, or fall into it rather, and whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Whoso removeth stones shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. If the iron be blunt, and he do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength, but wisdom is profitable to direct. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment, and a babbler is no better." The word of a wise man, or words of a wise man's mouth, are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is, mus- is, a ta- his talk is mischievous madness. A fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell uh, what shall be and what shall be after him. Who can tell him? The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them, because he knoweth not how to go to the city. Woe to thee, O land, when the king is a child, and thy princes eat in the morning. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy, kings, uh, when thy king is, uh, is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands the house droppeth through. A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Tonight I'd like to go over all of Ecclesiastes chapter number 10, and and what I'd like to talk to you about is this subject in light of Ecclesiastes number 10. Warning labels from Dr. Solomon. All right? Warning labels from Dr. Solomon. Can you tell I'm excited? Because these are good. These are really good. You'll enjoy this tonight. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as we go through your word tonight. I pray that you would help me. Uh, Slow my tongue. I have a tendency to speak fast, and so I pray that I would be clear, uh, that I would articulate what what you're trying to say through me. Lord, I pray that uh, you just help me, guide me, lead me, and direct me. Lord, I pray that, uh, uh, that you'd have your way tonight with the service, already with the great music, and I'm thankful that you are always good. 
You are always good. There is, there's, there's not a single time where you've left me or anybody in this room forsaken. You've done exactly what you've intended to do. And I'm so thankful that you're always good and that you're always right. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we go over these warning labels, that you just help us maybe to learn a little bit about you and, and learn a bit about your word and also how we can apply your word to our everyday lives. Lord, I, I'm gonna be very practical tonight and I pray that maybe the practicality would not be overlooked because there's people in this room that think that they're above it. No one is above the truth we're gonna talk about tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us. Be with me in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for reading with me. Reader's Digest is an American general interest family magazine published 10 times a year. How many of you know Reader's Digest? All right, you've heard or seen Reader's Digest. The magazine is a compact, or excuse me, it is compact with its pages roughly half the size of most American magazines. It's found in dental offices, auto shops, and waiting rooms all over the country. Its articles are often concise, thought-provoking, and generally, generally light-hearted, making its material very palatable for the reader. In the spring of 2017, the editors created an article entitled, Stupid Warning Labels That Will Make You Feel Like a Genius. I have it right here. I got it. We're going to go over it tonight, all right? There's a couple that I'd like to go over with you, and I'll have them up on the screen. All right, here's the first one. Never use a lit match or open flame to check fuel level. Found on a jet ski. Is it up there? Great. Here's the next one. Notice, drivers do not carry burritos found on a Chipotle truck. It's not like an ice cream truck. You, get, you don't get to go up and, and knock on the, uh, on the window and receive a, a burrito. No, notice, drivers do not carry burritos. Here's the next one. This product, not intended for use as a dental drill, found on a carpenter's drill. All right. All right, go to the next one. May cause drowsiness, use care when operating a car. That sounds all well and good until you realize that it was on the label of dog medicine. So make sure that before, make sure that before Fido gets behind the wheel that he's not had any of this medication so that he can operate responsibly, all right? Let's go to the next one. Do not eat iPod shuffle. It's found on the iPod. Do not eat iP the iPod shuffle. Go to the next one. Do not eat toner. Found on an ink cartridge. A lot, of, a lot of things on here about eating. Do not eat toner uh, found on an ink cartridge. Go to the next one. Warning, has been found to cause cancer in laboratory mice. Found on rat poison. These are real. From Reader's Digest, okay? Go to the next one. Should not be used for signing checks or any legal documents. Vanishing ink. I've written a few checks with vanishing ink. All right, go to the next one. Use like regular soap, found on a bar of soap, all right? I'm glad that they were clear with that one. Go to the next one. Not intended for highway use, found on a wheelbarrow, found on a wheelbarrow. I almost didn't share this next one. I'm going against the counsel of my wife, but I couldn't help but laugh. Go to the next one. I hope I don't hurt anybody's feelings. Avoid pouring on crotch area. It's found on a cup of coffee. In case that wasn't clear, let's make sure that we avoid dumping our hot coffee on certain areas, all right? So just for clarity, they were nice enough to put that on a cup of coffee. Go to the next one. Let's move on. I see people looking at me weirdly. Do not allow children to play in the dishwasher. Now, this one makes sense to me. If you've met my son, this one makes perfect sense. I see nothing wrong with that one. But just in case you didn't know, do not allow children to play in the dishwasher. It's found on the dishwasher. All right, go to the next one. Do not iron while wearing shirt. An iron-on shirt pattern. You ever seen those patches before? And so they were making, they were making sure. Uh, you guys have probably seen some of these things at the nurse's office, haven't you? Some, some boneheaded decisions made by people just not using common sense. All right, go to the next one. Caution, risk of fire found on fireplace logs. All right, <laughs> go, to the, go to the next one. Do not use while sleeping, found on a hairdryer. For you fishermen out there, go to the next one. Harmful if swallowed, found on a warning label on a fishing hook. Just a few more, we're almost done. Go to the next one. This one confused me, but uh, safety goggles recommended for a letter opener. 
Before you, who even gets snail mail anymore? But when, before you get mail, make sure that you put on your safety goggles so as not to hurt yourself. All right, go to the, go to the next one. Warning, this product moves when used, a scooter. All right, two more. Go to the next one. Remove child before folding, found on a baby stroller. And uh, the best for last, my personal favorite, may irritate eyes, found on a bottle of pepper spray. And these are authentic, these are real. I, I didn't make these up. I didn't create these for the sake of the illustration. These are all authentic. They're all real. And I'm sure that most of us in the auditorium tonight are asking the same question. Was that really necessary? I mean, was it really necessary? Did you really need to go over that? How many of you will just admit, as you're reading those, it really did not apply to you, right? Uh, why, oh, you really feel the need to specify that the manufacturers really see the, the need? Anybody with half a brain, a half a functioning brain, would understand the obvious. They, they would understand that you're not going to coast 60 miles an hour down Highway 5 in a wheelbarrow. And they would understand that you're not supposed to drink toner. They would understand that you're not supposed to put your kids in the dishwasher and turn it on clean to give them a bath. You would understand all those things, but you would also understand that although we would not understand the purpose behind being so specific to the obvious, those warning labels were written for a reason. They were written for some individuals that might be a little dense. They were probably written, I didn't look into this, but I would imagine that they were probably not written in the original manual, but because of a lawsuit or because of somebody uh, not just using basic common sense that they said, hey, we're going to have to put in there that you're not supposed to drink the toner. Wait, are you serious? No, there's this guy that drank the toner, and so now we've got to put it on the warning label. Hey, these warning labels are real, and they were put there for a reason. They were put there for maybe not you or most of you, but they were, not, they were put there for a reason for the denser of population. They were, they were put there for the redneck who is going 60 miles an hour down Highway 5 in the, back of his buddy's, uh, in the back of his buddy's Bronco pulling the wheelbarrow right behind him. By the way, that's not an idea, young men in this room. Don't do that. Uh, they were put in there for the guy who likes a little toner in his coffee on, on Sunday mornings. They were put in there for the denser of population, and so there's a reason that they were placed there, and likely, again, it is for the denser of population, and I say all that to say simply this, this is a rich book. It's a rich book. We're going to get serious here for a second. It's a rich book, and it's full of great wisdom, and it's full of great knowledge, and you know who it was written for? Denser of population. It was written for the denser of population. You say, that's right, Lamar. It was written for the denser of population. Hey, David, thou art the man. You are the denser of population. I'm not insulting anybody's intelligence tonight. It's, it's really, this was written for all men and it was written and everything was put there, the old and the new for our learning. And you know why I'm referring to us as the denser of population? Because is it not the basic of, the most basics of precepts that we seem to neglect on the day-to-day -day basis? I mean, I, I, things that we would learn in children's Sunday school on the day-to-day, -day, that's really what's getting the average Christian in trouble today. Is simply not applying the basic truths and the basic concepts of the word of God. And so we can understand and derive that God has written that book for our learning. He's written that for the denser of population and that really identifies all of us. And in Ecclesiastes chapter number 10, Solomon is going to give us four warning labels that seem so elementary, they seem redundant, they seem unnecessary, but if they are left unchecked, they will lead to defilement and self-destruction guaranteed every time. And so I hope you don't tune me out tonight because of the simplicity. I'm just going to preach what Solomon is outlining in Ecclesiastes chapter number 10. But let me just, let me just give you a little pre a preface. It's very simple. But we're dense. It's very practical and it's very basic. But we're not the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree. He gives us a few things. If you're taking notes, here's the first one I want you to go over tonight. Warning labels from Solomon. Dr. Solomon, here's the first warning. Number one, warning Little things cause big problems. Warning, little things cause big problems. Look at verse number one. It says, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. In verse number one, Solomon draws this very distasteful picture. He draws this picture of a fly that has crept its way into some ointment or some, some oil or some perfume maybe. He's crept his way and, and he can't escape and so he dies. The, the, the little, I mean, just a little fly gets in there. He can't escape and so he dies. And his dead decaying carp, carcass begins to decompose and his stench 
overpowers the sweet-smelling savor of the perfume and the ointment, thus rendering it useless. You can't use it anymore. What was sweet is now sour and it stenches. And you understand that perfume is very potent. It's very powerful. It's something, uh, something that, I mean, my wife gets onto me for spraying two or three sprays in the morning because uh, she says I smell like Hobby Lobby. But I, it, perfume is very powerful. A little fly gets in there. A little fly, fly gets in there and he can't escape. How many of you have ever seen a fly go into a bottle and he can't escape? It gets humid and he begins to die. He dies and he begins to decompose. And his body, again, decomposes. And so it, it, it ruins the worth and it, ru it ruins the usability of the perfume or the ointment. Solomon goes on to say that just as sweet-smelling perfume is compromised, compromised by the decaying carcass of the dead fly, so it is that a little foolishness compromises the testimony and honor of a wise man. Did you hear me tonight? Just a little compromise? Just a fly's worth. Lamar, you're telling me that if I live a life that is devoted to the word of God, I live a life trying to be incomplete, as, as not complete, but trying to be in a, as, as, as much as I can be in obedience to the word of God, and just one little decision can compromise a testimony? Absolutely. Just a little fly. In other words, it just takes a little bit of foolishness to ruin a lifetime of righteousness. Marriages are not ruined by infidelity, but by the little fly of coy behavior with someone who isn't your spouse. You say, hold on, Lamar, uh, infidelity ruins marriages. It does, but seldom does it start there. It starts with a little coy behavior with somebody that's not your spouse. Lamar, are you telling me that it's wrong for me to just engage in a little flirtatious behavior with somebody even if I don't partake? Absolutely it is wrong. Absolutely is it a sin. You know why? Because it leads to infidelity. Just a little fly though. You know, that's how we justify it, is it not? It's just a little fly. It's just a little conversation. It's just a little text message. It's just a little email. You know what? Just a little fly. It destroys the worth of the ointment. Parental relationships are not ruined by complete abandon of authority, but by the little fly of subtle rebellion when they're just four, five, and six. There's some people in this room who don't have the best of relationships with their children, and, and hey, that's a sad thing, and I don't want to make you feel bad, but I don't think that it was a complete abandon of authority just one day when they turned 18. It was probably little behavior, little subtle, the little subtle fly of just subtle rebellion when they were my son's age. Lamar, you can, no, you can't be serious. Little things like that don't lead to a lifetime of abandonment of, of, of authority. And it, Hey, absolutely it does. I could tell you person after person after person that do not have relationship with their children and their children do not have relationship with them and it all started with just a little fly of rebellion, just a little bit. Churches are not destroyed by huge splits but by the little fly of sowing discord amongst the brethren. Man, we could park it here and preach for a while. Churches, man, we, we read about it in the paper whenever it's big. But you know where it started? Somebody telling somebody else that they don't like this person. Or somebody telling somebody else that they disapprove of this pastor's decision. Sowing discord amongst the brethren. It's just a little fly. Come on, Lamar. It cannot be that big of a deal. The little flies spoil the ointment. The little flies spoil the, uh, the ointment. We often credit the destruction of people and relationships and organizations to major moral compromise. But just understand that although that might be the tipping point, seldom is it ever the starting point. Did you hear me? I'm going to read that statement again. It might, it might, it's not, maybe it's not necessarily the tipping point, but it's seldom ever, ever the starting point. You know where it starts with? Little flies. Just small little flies of sowing discord. Just small little flies of a coy conversation with somebody that's not your spouse. Just small, I mean, just a, a small little fly spoils the worth and it spoils the usability of the ointment. Calvin Coolidge had a son who was very, very talented at, so, uh, at not soccer, but he's very talented at tennis. Very different. 
very talented at tennis and he was very competitive and he would play he would play at the uh, very high level and so he was training and he was getting ready he was going to try to qualify for the olympics and so they had at the white house they actually had a tennis court set up and he would play day in and day out he played from dawn until dusk over and over again and he became very talented and again he's preparing trying to get to the elite level and uh, obviously those of you who play sports know that shoes are very important and so he would buy a new pair of shoes and, and he would kind of begin to get them broken in. And, and, and those of you that know that you really probably should not play in a new pair of shoes uh, for the first time in an actual match. You probably should break them in. You know, those of you who play sports, basketball, football, any of those different things, why? Because the leather is tough and it's, it's not conformed to your foot. It, 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 hasn't, it hasn't formed to your bunions yet. And so he's out there playing in a brand new se- uh, set of shoes and he developed just a small little blister. It's a little guy. Little guy, man, it hurt, it festered, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Didn't pay it any mind, and that little blister led to gangrene. That gangrene led to the amputation of his leg, and he was never able to play tennis again. Just a little, little bitty blister. Just a small thing. Just pay it no mind. It's not that big of a deal. It's not a big offense. Little flies spoil the ointment. Solomon is warning us to be mindful of the little flies because it's the little flies that ruin the precious ointment. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse number 6. We all know this verse. It says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Solomon says in, in uh, Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse number 15, Take us the foxes, the little foxes. It's just the little foxes, but they're the ones that spoil the vines. James says it this way in, in James chapter 3 and verse number 5. Even so the tongue is a little member, just a little guy. Boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. It's potent. It's powerful. It might start as a little fly, but it grows to great compromise. And it it takes away your worth and it takes away your usability. Isn't it amazing how the, the power of little things and how quickly they grow from being little problems to big problems? It happens all the time. It happens in the day to day. The great Chicago fire of 1871 started with just Miss O'Leary's cow kicking over the lantern. You know that nursery rhyme? O'Leary, 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 lay. One of the most destructive fires in, in Chicago history, was the most destructive fire in Chicago history, led to millions of dollars worth of damage. You know what it started with? Really, we could deduct that it just started from a little flame. Over 85 million people died as a result of World War II, and it all started with the invasion of Poland in uh, 1939. It was just the invasion of Poland. They had no idea that it would lead to one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest death counts in human history. Everybody's in an upheaval right now about the coronavirus. All right, let's just address it. it we're, we're, and the death count's not that that high. I really don't think that it's something that we need to be overly concerned about. But everybody's thinking about the coronavirus, and we're all thinking about the death counts and how many people are going to be affected. But you know what's very interesting? You know where it started? It started cross-contamination, it started as cross-contamination in just a little Chinese marketplace where they didn't wash like they were supposed to wash, and that little germ led to this giant upheaval in our nation today, and it just started as a little germ that was left untreated. Little flies spoil the ointment. Little things make big problems. Again, we read last week in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse number 18, it says, wisdom is better than weapons of war, for one sinner destroyeth much good, just one sinner destroyeth much good. Solomon warns us to be careful about the little things. He says in verse number two, a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left hand. How many of you are right-handed? You're a wise man. How many of you are left-handed? Solomon says you're a fool. That's not what Solomon is saying. You know what Solomon is saying? In Solomon's day, the right hand was the, was the sight of power. The left hand was the sign of weakness. The sight of weakness. And you'd see that, you'd see that in, the, in the temple or in the kingship. You'd have the, the king and his what hand man? Right hand man sitting at his right hand. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the father. Right hand is the side of power in Solomon's day. And the left hand is the, is the side of weakness. And so in other words, a moment of weakness can overthrow a lifetime of strength. Is what he's saying. Did you hear me? Just a moment of weakness. Just a moment of weakness, just one small little bad decision can lead to the overthrow of a lifetime of applied wisdom. What a waste. 
He says in verse number three, yea, also, when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to every one that he is a fool. You're a fool. In other words, foolish people, isn't it funny how foolish people can gain the gathering of simple-minded, gullible people? You know how they do that? They convince them that they're the fool and that they are the wise man. Uh, they, they, they gain a great following. Uh, hundreds of people follow dumb leaders. You know why? Because they convince everybody else that you're the fool and I'm the wise. You're the fool and I'm the wise. Uh, insert political illustration here. Isn't that funny? In politics, that's exactly how it works. It, it works just that way where you've got somebody who's a fool but they convince everybody else that they're wrong. You convince everybody else that you're wrong. I'm the wise, you're the fool and it gains a following. Solomon is simply saying, do not underestimate the little things. Do not underestimate the little flies because the little flies spoil the ointment. It takes away its worth and it takes away its usability. You say, I've been serving the Lord for 60 years. One decision can take all that away. You say, I've been applying myself and I, I have my children and I've raised them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and they're all in church. Hey, praise the Lord for that. But one little decision can throw all that away. The little flies spoil the ointment. Here's the second thing. Here's the second warning. Warning, bad leadership may cause holy irritation. Bad leadership may cause holy irritation. Solomon gives us four bad practices in leadership that displease the Lord. And I love this, how, how, he, how he lays this out. Here's the first one, the narcissistic leader. The narcissistic leader, this is the leader that cannot govern his emotions and lacks self-control and is very, very insecure. He operates on how he feels, he operates on his emotions, and he's very insecure of his credibility probably because he has none. Look at verse number four. It says, if the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. He goes on to say in Proverbs 16 and 32, it says, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. You know what Solomon is saying here? One of the greatest victories that you can win is victory over your flesh. One of the great, I, I, that's even better than taking a city. One of the greatest victories that you can win, and I'll just say it this way as a believer, is to live under subjection of the Holy Spirit and allow him to control your emotions. And all you teens said, we've been talking about that. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. The narcissistic leader operates on how he feels. He operates on what's, what his emotions are feeling and he doesn't operate under what is right and what is just. A narcissistic leader is always making emotionally based decisions that please only himself. Me, myself, and I, those are the only people that I'm looking out for. If I'm a narcissistic leader, I'm looking out for myself and I'm gonna get mine. Here's the second one, the nonchalant leader. Talks about the nonchalant leader in verse number five. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity and the rich sit in low places. Verse seven, I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants on the earth. The nonchalant leader is one who's supposed to be leading by example, one who is supposed to take stands based on principle, one who's supposed to be leading the charge in battle, but he is perfectly content Walking as a servant while the servants ride on horses. He's nonchalant. The nonchalant leader is afraid to offend anyone by making principled stands, so he chooses not to take a stand at all. He's consumed with what everybody else is thinking. He's consumed with this consensus of the people. You, Lamar, are you saying that it's wrong for a leader to be concerned with how the people feel? No, I'm not saying that is wrong, but you know what? That's not the motivating factor. Because you know what's gonna determine our future? How the people feel. You know what'll get us in trouble quicker than anything else in this nation? Operating on how we feel. You know how we operate? What's right and what's just. A nonchalant leader takes the temperature of the people and says, hey, what do you guys think about this situation? And that's how they operate. That's how they choose to make decisions. They don't wanna upset the apple cart. In other words, the nonchalant leader, low-key and anti-confrontational. I don't, I don't want to upset the people. I, want to be, I don't want to create friction. And so how about you guys decide what you want? Narcissistic leaders lead by how they feel. Nonchalant leaders lead by how others feel. He warns against the nonchalant leader. Here's the next one. The non-qualified leader. <laughs> Just not qualified. 
Verse number 16 and 17. I know we skipped some verses. We're going to come back to those. But look at verse 16 and 17. It says, Woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child, and thy princes eat in the morning. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. Sometimes people are placed in the position of authority because of political reasons, because of nepotistic reasons, or maybe even for personal reasons. They're put in the position of leadership, not because it was, uh, it was something that they earned, but because of something that it was arranged. How many of you work in the workplace, and I just described someone who's in leadership at your place of employment? Uh, someone who did not earn their spot, they were just given the spot, either because of personal gain, either because of political reasons, or maybe it's because their daddy's the boss. No one from this church better raise their hand. But they're in that position not because they earned it, not because they're qualified, not because they have the credentials. No, they don't have any of those things. They were just simply put there because it was convenient. Previous administration decided to put them in that position because they're related or for political gain or for personal gain. It has nothing to do with their qualifications because they have none. It just has to do with who they are and what their name is. He warns against the nonchalant leader. Here's the next one, the last one. He warns against the neglectful leader. The neglectful leader. Look at verse number 18. It says, By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of hands the house droppeth through. A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. In other words, you can be bought. You can be bought as a leader. If, if you're a neglectful leader, you can be bought if the price is right. Solomon paints this picture of a lazy leader. He's neglectful. He's neglectful. He's choosing not to make a decision at all. I don't want to contradict how the people feel. I really don't have a horse in the race. And so he chooses not to make a decision. He's incapable of making the decision. The organization is falling apart, the roof is caving in, and the walls are collapsing around him. And where do you find the unqualified, or rather the neglectful leader? He's sitting in his hands. He's just sitting in his hands. His hands are, are what does it say in verse number 18? By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of hands, idleness of hands, the house droppeth through. He's neglectful. He doesn't care. He doesn't pay mind to it. And so you know what he decides to do? Rather than making decisions based off of his emotions, rather than making decisions based off of personal gain, I'm just not going to make a decision at all. The neglectful leader. He warns against the neglectful leader. Bad leadership may cause holy irritation. Here's the next one. Number three, warning. Destruction may be a side effect of self-deception. Take with care. Destruction may be a side effect of self-deception. We skipped verse 8 down through verse number 10 intentionally. So let's look back at those verses. Solomon gives us some practical life lessons. And they're so practical, I hope that they don't go over anybody's head tonight. It's almost like hillbilly logic. Here's the first one. If you try to destroy others, you will destroy yourself. If you try to destroy others, you will destroy yourself. Look at verse number 8. It says, he that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. And he who so breaketh an hedge, and whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. And the idea here is that there's this man who builds this pit only to fall into the snare that he set for somebody else. We, we talked about it a little bit this morning in Sunday school, but it's, it's what we like to refer to as the boomerang effect. Finish the statement. What goes around? What goes around comes around. So be careful at setting out to destroy the testimony of, to testimony of someone else only to fall into the pit that you dug for him. Be careful what you do or say in attempts to destroy someone else's testimony because Solomon says that it will only come back to bite you. It'll only come back to hurt you. When I think of that story, I couldn't help but think of Haman and Mordecai. That's a great story. Man, God has a sense of humor. That's a great story. You understand that Haman brings these offenses to the king and he wants to see the Jewish nation wiped out. And fast forward to the end of the story, he goes into the king, and the king says, hey, what should I do to this guy who's really, I mean, he's really, really pleased me, and he thinks he's talking about Haman, and so what does he say? Hey, throw a party, throw a party, have a parade, man, you should get the nicest of robes, and there should be the nicest of spread, and isn't it funny how he's talking about Mordecai, and he goes and does exactly what Haman said to do to Mordecai, and where does Haman end up, end up hanging? From the gallows that he made for Mordecai. What goes around comes around. And I, I might be preaching to the choir, but I know that there's some people in here who know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
You want to destroy someone else's testimony, Solomon says, hey, you better watch out because you know what? That pit you just dug, you're going to fall right into it. Solomon says, you try to destroy others, you'll only destroy yourself. Here's the next one. It's real basic. Before you tear down a wall, make sure you know why it was built. That's, that's meat and potatoes. Before you tear down a wall, you better understand why it was put there in the first place. This next section, I've always read in separate phrases, but it actually goes hand in hand. Verse 8 and verse 9, it says, He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. Then he says, And whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Whoso removeth stone shall be hurt therewith. Why? And he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. And now when we think of a hedge, what do we think of? We think of that little boxwood hedge that's sitting out in front of the church sign right now. The little boxwood hedge. That's not what Solomon is talking about. In the day of Solomon, a hedge was built maybe out of stone or it was built out of brick or wood and it was formed around a house or it was formed around a kingdom. It was formed around a home. And we've heard this expression before, the hedge of protection. And it was placed there for the intention of protecting those who are inside the hedge from the enemy that is without. Very easy to understand what Solomon is talking about here. And so Solomon says that a fool will tear down walls without first understanding why they were built in the first place. And then he goes on to say, it was to his own demise. What did he say at the end of verse number eight? And he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. You're simply subjectifying yourself to the attack of the enemy, but the only problem is you didn't know the enemy was on the other side of that wall. All you cared about was tearing the wall down. All you cared about was removing that obstacle that was placed in your life for your protection, but you didn't see it that way. Oftentimes, we're so quick to tear down the walls of discernment, principle, and standards because we have no idea why they were placed there in the first place. I just described my generation to a T. I saw, that's exactly, uh, that's our battle cry. We are the wall terror downers. That's all we seek to do. I mean, seriously, and I'm tired, I'm tired of it being in the name of legalism. You know what is in, it's in the name of? Liberty. I want more liberty to operate how I think that I should operate. And by the way, I don't want to belittle legalism. It's a real thing, and it's led plenty of people astray. But that's not the intention, and that's not, that's not the reasoning behind my generations. It's just to tear down the walls. You know what? We want more liberty. We want to be able to do what we want, say what we want, think what we want. And you know what we always do? We always go back to this right here. Hey, where does it say in the Bible about that? It seems like a great question but it's from false motives. And our, my generation is trying so desperately hard to tear down the walls of discernment, tear down the walls of principle, and tear down the walls of discernment and all those different things and standards simply because we don't know chapter and verse where it was. And it was set up there by the previous generation. And hey, before we're too hard on my generation, you guys built some walls that made no sense. All right, let's just be honest. I can remember a time, and I don't want to get, uh, chase this rabbit here, but I can remember a time where a preacher was only allowed to wear a white shirt and a power tie. I remember a time when preachers were not allowed to have beards and weren't allowed to have goatees because it was sinful. You guys built some, some incredibly ridiculous walls, but I'm simply saying, there's some walls that were built. I might not understand today why they were built, but I'll understand someday. I better be really careful about going and kicking down walls to my hurt, subjectifying myself to the attacks of the enemy. There are things that I do today that make no sense to me at all. I don't understand it. I don't know why, really doesn't make sense, and I could go and, and name a bunch of things that me and my wife participate in or don't participate in. Hey, honey, why are we doing this? I don't really know. I don't understand, but uh, that's what my father did, and I really don't understand the situation like he understood the situation. I'm just praying for discernment before I go kicking that wall down. But to my, to my demise, there's been times where I've gone and I've just kicked the wall down because it didn't make sense to me, only to find myself in subjection to the attacks of the enemy and go, oh, that's why that wall was there. Oh, that's why they set up that wall of discernment or that wall of standards. It was there simply to protect me from the attacks of the enemy. Hey, am I talking to somebody? Is this resonating at all? You better be careful before you go kicking down walls to know why they were placed there in the first place. Solomon says that a fool will recklessly, recklessly demolish walls of protection only to his hurt. Here's the next one. Before you pursue plans, prepare wisely. Before you pursue plans, you better prepare wisely. Again, meat and potatoes. Verse 10. It says, if the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength, but wisdom is profitable to direct. 
In other words, before you chop down a tree, ready, it's going to get real deep, you better sharpen your axe. Before you chop down a tree, you better sharpen your axe. And he goes on to say at the end of that verse, wisdom is profitable to direct. Before you chop down a tree, you better wet your axe. And before you chop down a tree, you better know where that tree is going to land when you chop it down. Those who fail to plan, plan to fail. Don't flippantly jump into anything without first counting the cost. Very simple, but is that not, that's low-hanging fruit, but that's something we neglect on a day-to-day basis. We jump into any decision based off of how we feel, just talked about that, and not on logic and not on the word of God. Why? Because we fail to use the principle of simple planning. You know what a good plan, here, just write this down. You know, what, you know where your plans should start for major life decisions? Prayer, the Bible, and your pastor. Some of you will neglect those decisions. You'll, you'll neglect that process, and you'll make decisions that seem like little flies, only to realize that they lead to great demise. Little things cause big problems, and bad leadership may cause holy irritation. Destruction may be a side effect of self-deception. Here's the last one. Maybe the most simple of all of them, but the most powerful. Warning. Do not operate mouth while under the influence of the flesh. Do not operate mouth while under the influence of the flesh. In other words, ready? Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Sing with me. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Lamar, why are you bringing that nonsense to adult, the adult Sunday night service? That belongs in kids club. That belongs in Sunday school. This thing right here will get more people in trouble in this room this week than the other things that we went over in the past couple of minutes. He warns us to be careful about what we say. He goes over a few things. Here's the first one. The uncontrolled tongue. The uncontrolled tongue. Look at verse number 11. It says, Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment, and a babbler is no better. Babbler is no better. Solomon uses the analogy of a snake charmer. You know, da-na-na-na-na. You ever seen Aladdin? He uses the analogy of a snake charmer, and the snake charmer gets bit before he can even play a tune. And he says that a babbler is none the wiser. If you cannot subjectify your tongue, if you can't, can't get it under control, it will come back to bite you. It'll come back to get you in trouble. He said a babbler is none the better. Ready? Listen real close. Think before you speak. I say that to my son. Think before you speak. I need it said to me every single day. Lamar, think before you speak. Because it leads to great destruction. So often we allow our tongue to go into motion long before our brain ever kicks into gear. And by the way, let's just kind of bring it to 2020. This doesn't just happen verbally. Sometimes it happens this way. Sometimes it happens this way. Sometimes it happens this way. Think before you speak. Man, uh, this, this was very discouraging a couple of weeks ago when I was thinking about this and how really there's, there's it's not just think before you speak now, it's think before you post. And, and I'm serious. I looked back at the last maybe 10 years of, of, of my life. I didn't want to go back any farther because that'd just lead to more discouragement. Just the last 10 years, I've made some boneheaded decisions. And am, I, am I the only one? Am I the only dense person in this room? I made some boneheaded decisions, and you know what I realized? As I begin to account one by one, most of them happen on Facebook. Alamar, oh, I can't believe you. Hey, hey, hey don't, don't, don't be so holier than thou. I looked at the last 10 years, and you know, most of the bad decisions that I've made, most of the marks against my testimony happened because I simply did not think before I posted. Think before you speak. The uncontrolled tongue, it'll get you into a lot of trouble. Here's the next one, the unkind tongue. The unkind tongue in verse number 12, it says, The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. We already read this, but James chapter uh, 3 and verse number 5, it says, Even so the tongue is just a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a little fire kindleth. Just a little fire. In the words of the great theologian, Thumper, the rabbit. If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. You've seen Bambi. 
Isn't that rich though? Isn't that something that we teach our children? We teach our children, hey, you need to be kind one to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That was not written for a child. That was written for you and that was written for me. Be kind. Let your words be seasoned with grace. Be kind and be gracious. Why? Because although the tongue is just a little member and boasteth great things, oh, uh, what does it say? I don't want to butcher it. And boasteth great things, behold how great a little fire kindleth. The unkind tongue. Here's another one, the unwise tongue. The unwise tongue in verse number 13 and 14, it says, The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. A fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be and what shall be after him. Who can tell him? You can't tell this joker anything. Why? Because he's always talking. Why? He's unwise. It's better to be thought a fool and remain silent than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. That, that plane will land here in a second for some of you. It's better not to say anything sometimes. Let me say it this way. It's probably wiser not to say anything sometimes. Did you know that every infraction brought against you doesn't require a response? Most of the time it doesn't require a response immediately. You can at least take some time to think about it, to pray about it, to use some discernment. But you know what the unwise person will say? I, don't want to make, I want to make sure he doesn't get a word in edgewise, so I'm just going to talk, talk, talk. It is unwise and foolish to speak out of term with no discernment. Solomon says in Proverbs 10 and verse number 18, He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. He that refraineth his lips is wise. I'm against tattoos, but if you're going to get a tattoo, get that verse tattooed on your forehead. Because it'd save you a lot of trouble. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. The unwise tongue. Go to the next one. The unreasonable tongue. Unreasonable tongue in verse 14 and 15. It says, a fool also is full of words. He's full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be and what shall be after him. Who can tell him? The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them because he knoweth not how to go to the city. He talks here about a man who, who makes grand plans but can never deliver. Makes grand plans but can never deliver. And then I love it. He uses a little humor and say that this guy makes grand plans and he can't even find his way home in his own city. Overpromise, underdeliver. An unreasonable tongue, and here's the last one that he talks about. The unfaithful tongue, verse 20. The unfaithful tongue, it says in verse number 20. Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. How many of you have ever heard of the expression, oh, a little birdie told me? That's where it comes from, right there. A little birdie told me. Man, where'd you get that information? Oh, little birdie told me. You know what that's southern for? I'm a gossip. I'm a gossip and I love to talk about other people when they're not there. Solomon says, be careful of that. Curse not the king. No, not in thy thought. It's not even necessarily, he says, be careful what you say. Hey, you better be careful about your thought life. Because usually what starts here comes out here. But he doesn't just say that. Look at the next section of the verse. It says, uh, 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 curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber at home. You think that because you're in the safety and the parameters of your home that you're free to slander and to talk down about those who are not in your home? Oh, I, I, I'm very open with my wife and we talk about all sorts of things, but you know what? She and I do not, our relationship does not give me a license to slander. No, not even in the bedchamber. Not even in the bedchamber. Why? Because it says, For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. What goes around comes around. It's going to come back to bite you. Here's what Solomon's saying in verse number 20. Never say anything about someone in private that you wouldn't say in public. Lamar, I paid for uh, a little bit deeper. Sorry, that's not what you're going to get. But it's powerful. Don't say something in private about someone who's not there that you wouldn't say in public because what goes around comes around. Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich 
in thy bedchamber. In closing, we see that Solomon gives us some warning signs, some warning labels that seem elementary and unnecessary. They seem redundant. They seem like they belong in a five-year-old's children's Sunday school class. But I'd venture to say that these practical warning signs and these warning labels that Solomon goes over are exactly what you and I are going to struggle in the workplace with tomorrow. A little fly. Just a little fly. Spoils the ointment. We can't control our tongue. We don't plan, and so we fail. We're quick to tear down walls without even understanding why they're there. These are all things that are practical that we go through on a day-to-day basis. But we write them off because they seem so simple. Those are for the denser of populations. Let's not think so highly of ourselves that we're above the simple, practical application of the Word of God. We pay no mind to the little things when Solomon says that the little fly destroys the ointment. We lead contrary to Scripture, and Solomon says that it displeases the Lord. We are so self-deceived that we think that we can live how we want and not suffer the consequences, but Solomon says that wisdom is profitable to direct. We allow our tongues to have a mind of its own when Solomon says that a man who is wise refraineth his lips. Let's not be so dense as Christians that we ignore the basic warning labels of the word of God. Because they were written for our learning. They were written for our benefit. Pay attention to the little things. Pay attention to the little things. Whenever you venture out this week on your own, you better pay attention to the little flies because that little fly you pay no mind can lead to a lifetime of discouragement and a lifetime of destruction. You say, Lamar, you don't understand my credentials and you don't know my track record. No, I don't and I don't care because Satan is, is not worried about that. He, seeketh that. he walketh about as roaring lions seeking whom he may devour. And for you, it might be that little fly. Pay attention to the little things. Lead biblically. Lead biblically. Dads, lead biblically. Moms, lead biblically. If you own a business or you're a boss, lead biblically. Don't just operate uh, in leading on what's gonna benefit you. Don't just operate in in leading what's gonna benefit the people. Lead just and lead right according to what will benefit God and will please him according to his word. Lead biblically. Use wisdom and discernment when living life. Just use some discernment. Be careful about kicking walls down that you don't know why, why they were put there. They were probably put there for your protection. Plan. Look at every situation as an opportunity to seek wisdom from the Lord, his word, and your pastor. And learn to control the, uh, excuse me, learn to control the tongue, what we say. If you apply those simple warning, uh, those warning signs that Solomon goes over, I can promise you that the big things will come very naturally. The bigger, more deeper, richer truths, I encourage you to come back next week and listen to Pastor preach. He'll, he'll, he'll dive in, but I just wanted to be simple tonight. Let's not ignore the warning signs. Let's not ignore the practical, basic teachings of the Word of God because it's those things that Satan will use for our destruction. Lord, I pray that you